I'm Allison Watson, and you're listening to the Water Values Podcast. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations by the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource, by Black & Veatch, building a world of difference, by Trinex, trust in what's next, by Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water, by Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services, by Interra, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow, and by Xylem, let's solve water. This is session 231. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGibson and thank you so much for joining me. Today we are honored to have the one and only Pat Mulroy back on the podcast Pat, as always, does a great job, and in this episode, she gives us a status update on the Colorado River negotiations and prognosticates on what might happen as the states continue their negotiations on the river. Uh, You're sure to learn a lot. I know I did. And also, Reese Tisdale is going to join us for a Bluefield on Tap segment this this, uh, episode. As you know, we always say thank you to our awesome sponsors at the top of the show, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Trinix, Mentor APM, Woodard and Curran, Interra, and Xylem. That is a great and terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry, thought leadership, and education. And I thank you all. And I'd like for you, please, to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of the sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at that sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It would be greatly appreciated and will help others find out about the podcast. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Yes, the ever-important subscription. It's real easy. All you got to do is click the button and subscribe, and it'll automatically download every time we release an episode. Well, before we head on to the interview with Pat, let's get our Bluefield on Tap segment ready with uh, Bluefield Research's Reese Tisdale and his observations on some recent P3 announcements. So take it away, guys. Reese, welcome back to another Bluefield on Tap segment. How's things going? Pretty good, Dave. Pretty good. You're in Indianapolis at the Combine. And as I was just <laughs> telling, I was, I, I'm sure, I don't know what your 40 is. But uh, I maybe maybe you should go out there and run a race for a minute. Uh, I'd pop a, I'd pop my Achilles if I tried to run. <laughs> so let me put down my stopwatch here and let's get rolling on uh, on uh, this segment. Uh, what is big in water this week, or what what's Bluefield been tracking lately? There's always a lot of big things, but I think one thing that came to mind, and we've talked a little bit about this. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on a podcast, but definitely just on the side, and that is public private partnerships. Looks like there are a couple uh, in the works in uh, Florida as well as in Oregon. Yeah, we have definitely talked about those, uh, although I think you're right. I can't recall if it was on a BOT segment or not. So what's going on? Talk to me about these these P3s. 
So the one that really sort of brought this to my attention is in Fort Lauderdale, the Prospect Clean Water Center. The, uh, there's a new P3 that's been announced with uh, Ridgewood Infrastructure and IDE, the Israeli, I guess, Water Technology Solutions Provider, and the engineering and construction firm uh, Kiowit. So they've got a, this for anybody who's superstitious, close your ears, 666. So it'll be six 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 million dollar uh, water treatment plant in planning. Wow! So what? What? Six hundred sixty six million. Uh, how? First off, how big is it? I mean, in terms of like, do you, do you know what the processing capacity? Yeah, is? yeah, it's about fifty. Uh, I think it's fifty million gallons per day capacity. It's got a um, twenty twenty six delivery date, um, and I know Ridgewood's taken on about twenty. 5% of the project cost, but it's unique in that it's also, it's a design, it's a progressive design build project. So that is supposed to enable it or allow it to move faster, you know, maybe even save as much as two years as far as time wow. uh, from design to, uh, to uh, I guess, deployment or uh, commissioning. So I got, a, I got a couple notes on this. I mean, we, again, we've talked about P3s before. What's your take on where P3s are in uh, the water sector? I mean, is this just kind of like the floodgates starting to open or is this kind of, you know, we're, we're learning as we go? What, what's your what's your position on? Well, yeah, I know. I think I think we're far more tempered in our enthusiasm <laughs> when it comes to uh, when it comes to P3s. I think one of the challenges is and this is a good example. So at Bluefield, we work with the companies from all over the world, particularly like Europe, Latin America. And you do see a fair amount of P3s, the Middle East, these desal plants. So honestly, Europeans, and I know Quali is a good example. They were actually bidding on this Fort Lauderdale project, the Spanish engineering company. And people get excited about P3s in the U.S. They're just, and particularly in water, they're just not that many. We have a couple examples like Bayonne, Rialto, uh, Vista Ridge is another one, which Ridgewood was involved with. Um, I mean, Carlsbad Desal uh, would be another one. So th- they're just they I th- they're few and far between. Um, now I think this one and the Fort Lauderdale and the La- Lake Oswego, the Portland, Oregon one are interesting. They're just examples of aging infrastructure that needs to be replaced and upgraded, and it's becoming increasingly costly for these cities. And there are financial services firms, as well as companies like Kiwit and construction firms uh, and technology companies like ID who are willing to step in and sort of play that role and bear the burden of some of the financial risks, uh, as well as just construct and operate the plant. Yeah. And so when we're talking about this plant, it's not, this isn't a black box per se for the entire system. It is a discrete asset within the system that the P3 is is designed to produce exactly it's it's for the it's the clean water center basically is what they're building so it's not like take over the whole system and i know i think you have some experience with that in the past <laughs> yeah and so uh what what about the procurement process i mean do you did bluefield track that in terms of was this done under um you know are there unique aspects of Florida or Oregon law that allowed this progressive design build concept, for example? 
Well, I mean, it basically, I mean, there are a couple of things, you know, there are only certain states where P3s are in water, you know, P3s in general, even allowed, there's sort of their different criteria that must be met within different states, but also design build is not allowed in every state as well. And so design build is something that I know a number of engineering firms are increasingly interested in. They're trying to sort of enable that, or at least sort of grease the skids through state legislatures and policymakers. Uh, to make that happen because the promise is that actually they save engineering time, they save construction time, ultimately projects cost less and the commissioning of the, of the asset is sooner or faster. So let's talk a little more about the Lake Oswego um, uh, project. That's, that's a wastewater treatment plant. What kind of capacity is, does that one have? You know, I don't know that one actually offhand. I'll be the first to admit. I know it's still sort of in planning process. It's sort of tied up with Lake Oswego as well as the city of Portland. Um, why we're interested in it, a- apart from the capacity, which I'll have to go figure out now that you've asked, but also <laughs> um, EPCOR is is the is the firm driven driving that um, the Canadian, I guess in our case in the U S investor in utility that owns and operates water utilities in places like Arizona and New Mexico. And actually they own 5% of Vista Ridge, the other P three in Texas. That yeah. I mentioned. Yeah. And the unique thing about EPCOR is while it's an IOU, it is municipally owned, right? Yeah. I mean, it's unique in that it's owned by the city of Edmonton. So, uh, no one really knows that or thinks about that, I bet, but, uh, it's an interesting uh, business model that they have. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Reese, you've been fantastic as always. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing a little about P3s. Until next time, take it easy. All right, Dave. Good luck on that 40. Thank you. As always, great information from Bluefield Research and Reese Tisdale. Now it's time for the main event, the interview with Pat Mulroy. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Pat, welcome back to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you back on. How are you this morning? I'm great. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, it's terrific to have you back on. I know uh, some things have changed in your life since we last spoke in 2017. So what can you give us an update on that? Well, 2017, I was already retired. But since then, um, I'm doing less work with the university and I'm doing more work with my consulting firm. And I sit on various corporate boards. So I'm keeping busy. Yeah, that- <laughs> That's good. Uh, one of the things you've been known for is Colorado River negotiations, and there's a lot of uh, noise about that right now. Can you kind of give us uh, a status update on what's going on on the Colorado River now? Well, I, I think it's, it's still a good ways from reaching an agreement. Um, the, given the condition of the river, the Department of Interior uh, gave the states a deadline of the end of January to come up with a seven states proposal. There was no seven states proposal. Six states agreed on one approach. So the dissenter was the state of California, who then submitted their own. And the two are pretty divergent in their approaches. It's going to be a difficult task to bridge that divide because their those philosophies are pretty diametric to one another. I mean, state of California wants a strict priority system, whereas the other six states are saying, look, we share a common crisis 
And we all need to do our part to help alleviate the issues. So two very different approaches. And they have to get it done this year. They have to get it done this year. Yes, there's been more snow this year than we've seen in a couple of years, but that's not going to solve the problem. I mean, this one good snow season, if it holds and doesn't sublimate, will give some relief, but it will not prevent um, it will not prevent the river from being as stressed as it is. And if next winter is another repeat of winter's past, then they're going to be in pretty we're going to be in pretty severe trouble. Yeah. So uh, can you kind of outline the proposal the six states had? Right. I mean, their proposal, essentially, let me put, let me, before I get into that, I mean, their pro, both proposals don't reach the 2 million acre foot cut mark. And the interior had said the states need to agree on some forms of reduction between two to 4 million acre feet. Both the six states and the one from California each get to 1.5 million. And essentially what the, um, what the six states have said is that the bulk of the cuts are going to come out of the lower basin and roughly a million acre feet are coming out of the lower basin and the upper basin is going to contribute 500,000 acre feet in reduced uses. That's essentially uh, the six states proposal. And so just, just for listeners who may not be as familiar with the Colorado river as, as others, the upper basin, those states include, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, and, and, New Mexico. and New Mexico, Lower Basin, California, California, Arizona, Nevada. Yep. Great. In terms of the the California proposal, then they both get to one and a half. California is essentially saying that, hey, the, the other state, because we're going to be on a strict priority basis, the other states are the ones who really need to cut first. Is that? Uh, That's essentially it. I mean, the state of Metropolitan has offered up 400,000 acre feet, or if you want to call it the state of California, says they will reduce by 400,000 acre feet, but they essentially dry up the central Arizona project and they take a much heftier cut out of Nevada. You know, sitting here in Nevada, which has, you know, the smallest share of the river, I mean, can if you want to compare numbers in the lower basin, California has 4.4 4, 4 million acre feet. Arizona has 2.8 million acre feet. And Nevada has 300,000. I mean, the hubris and the annoyance that Nevada feels given the, that the, you know, Jabba the Hutt stealing a lollipop from a toddler. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, so tell us how you really feel, Pat. Um. Yeah, I'll tell you how I really feel. <laughs> So uh, there was a January deadline that is that has come and gone. Uh, it's got to be done this year. What do you what do you see as the chances for um, a negotiated solution? It depends how much relief this snowpack brings. If the states feel that this snowpack's enough to buy them another year, they'll use the year. Uh, I don't see the federal government being particularly willing or, quite frankly, able to um, effectuate much. I mean, they can threaten, and there are certain processes they can put in place. But given the fact that there are Supreme Court decisions and there are acts of Congress, I 
we would end up in court in a nanosecond. And any judge would stop this process. We'll probably end up directly in the Supreme Court. And that is a tedious, long process. The states are painfully aware that they can't reach that point. So my guess is that the states will increase their efforts to try to find some middle ground. But given California's starting position, that's going to be a tough bridge to cross. Yeah. So so what needs to, to happen? I mean, in terms of uh, maybe here's the here's the better question. Where do you see things going from here? What is on the calendar already in terms of getting negotiations started and, and moving this process along? Oh, I think there's a lot of informal meetings going on right now. Um, I don't know when the next formal meeting is, is scheduled. I think the federal government has said they're going to review both the California proposal and the six states proposal. And then I have no idea whether they're going to come up with some sort of proposal that sits in the middle between those two or whether they're going to lean toward the six states. I can't answer that question. I mean, what's on the juggernaut is how much California is willing to cut in their use that in the simplest terms, that's what it gets down to. Arizona has stepped up and said they're willing to take some enormous cuts. Nevada has stepped up and said it's going to take some enormous cuts. Now, the state of California has to date been reluctant to take that same approach. If you're if you're crystal balling, where's this thing going to end up? If I'm crystal balling, um, I think all the deadlines will be blown. But I think um, I think at the end of the day, they will they will reach some form of agreement between the states. They can't afford a lawsuit against the federal government. And the federal government really is limited in what they can and cannot do. They could start a process on agricultural beneficial use that takes several years to work your way through. They can take the role of the water master in the lower basin and they can issue cuts and reductions, but those have to be in accordance with Supreme Court decrees and with acts of Congress. So where those cuts occur, they have very little control over changing that dramatically without the concurrence of the states. Now let's look at what happens if we, if, if there's actually a a Supreme court original jurisdiction case, right? So Mm -hmm. how, how can you lay out, what happens in that scenario? I know we've, you've talked about the end games, but what what exactly is the process? Well, what the Supreme Court does is they will probably appoint a master, a water master, um, a master to oversee the hearings. There will be briefs filed. I mean, the last Supreme Court decision took, what, 20 years? Um, I'm not kidding. Uh, it, And sitting on the bench in D.C., the judges are going to be very cautious and everybody has to have their have ample judicial review. I mean, it's an attorney's paradise. We're going to put a lot of kids of attorneys through college with this. (laughs) Yeah. The Supreme Court is obviously more it leans more towards a conservative bent. 
which does that benefit one side or the other, you think? I think it benefits the agricultural. I think it benefits the California proposal. If I'm an ultra conservative, then I'm going to strictly I'm going to strictly adhere to um, the Supreme Court decision in Arizona v. California. And I'm going to strictly adhere to uh, the Boulder Canyon Project Act and the CAP Funding Act. Um, I'm not going to veer too far from it because I'm not going to feel I have the discretion to do that. So that, that I think, is where a very conservative court would go. That's interesting because you would think that the upper basin states are more conservative states than California. And so that might... Partisan politics plays very little role in water politics. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, they very much think regionally, they do not think partisan politics. So the upper, look, the upper basin essentially lives with run of the river already, right? I mean, they don't have the same reservoir capacity and benefit of the storage that Lake Mead and Lake Powell offer the lower basin. They have various reservoirs in the upper basin, but those get hit pretty quickly if you have a two-year drought. So the the state of Wyoming's already had to effectuate massive cuts to their ag users. I mean, in Colorado, they're struggling on how to meet the demands. So the upper basin is is already dealing with it, and they have to because the water simply isn't there. The lower basin has had the benefit of, you know, two decades worth of storage in um, Lake Mead. And they now are at a point that nobody ever thought they would be at where essentially Lake Mead can go to Deadpool. And to be very honest with you, that's the part I don't get with California. I mean, it's like playing Russian roulette with all chambers loaded. If there's no water going south of Hoover Dam, then large users like the Imperial Irrigation District and Palo Verde and Yuma and Coachella and Metropolitan get nothing. There is no there there. You can have the greatest paper water right in the world, you know, admire it, frame it, but um, it doesn't do you any good. Yeah. If it goes to Deadpool, that's essentially just buying another lawsuit where California would sue. Uh, but what are, the, the what's state. the sue? I know there's no suing at that point. I mean, if the water's physically not there, how can you sue? It physically cannot go downstream. Well, they, they, they may not be able to get specific performance, but they'd sue for damages. And No, there's no way you can sue for damages. Who are you going to sue? Mother Nature? <laughs> Well, you can't see the damages. No, that that's that's a stretch. Let's dive into that a little more. So what happens if so you're saying that like California, if if there's no water to go past Hoover Dam. And other states have taken their share that may precede California, because I'm not a water rights lawyer, so I just want to make sure that that I'm understanding that if if water can't get past if, if Hoover Dam gets to if Lake Mead gets to that point, the upper basin is suffering dramatically. Mm-hmm. That means there's nothing coming downstream. Yeah. 
It's not a matter of people having taken too much. It's a matter of physically there's not enough runoff. Physically, there's not enough water supply. So that's the important that's the important distinction is that it's that's not the, it's not that others have taken too much. It's that there's just physically not enough there to even satisfy anyone's rights. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. There will be massive forest fires in the upper basin because they will be bone dry. I mean, it will be a really sad state of affairs. So, Pat, what um, what comes next? I mean, what what's what do you see in the immediate future here? What in the immediate future, I think you'll see the states rolling up their sleeves. I don't think you're going to hear much coming out of California. They will probably do a lot of one-on-one conversations with each of the states, but they will go into review mode and won't be making any pronouncements between now and I'm not sure when. And I think the states will, especially the six states, will continue to try to bridge that divide with California. Very good. And what is your leave-behind message? I think the leave-behind message is stop looking at your paper water rights and start looking at the reality of a very changed climate with a very changed water supply. And how does that translate into protecting both the agricultural production and the urban and the, and the natural in the ecosystem in this, in this river system, the, we're using 19th century laws with 20th century infrastructure and trying to find 21st century uh, solutions. And somewhere along the line, we have to become pragmatic and say, let's deal with reality. Let's deal with what mother nature is dealing us um, every year. And yes, we'll have those pieces of paper to protect ourselves if we need to, but they really aren't as helpful as we think they are. Very stark, very uh, uh, serious leave behind message. I think that's probably the right uh right approach given the dire situation uh, on the Colorado river. So I thank you for that. Uh, Pat, you've been absolutely fantastic today. It's always great to speak with you. Uh, Could you, uh, for those who want to find out more about you and what you're doing these days, could you tell us uh, where we can send folks to learn more about you and your work? Oh, listen, I'm not interesting. Um, I think, (laughs) I think they need to read as much as they can about the effects of climate change. Um, They need to understand the water issue. And, you know, it's going to manifest itself differently across the country. There was a book I edited from that's in the Brookings Press, and you can get it in Amazon called The Water Problem. And I had uh, friends and acquaintances of mine in the various regions each write up the particular challenges that they're facing. Um, And I think it's a good read for anybody who wants a really um, deep understanding of what the issues are the U.S. is facing across the country. Very good. Well, we'll have that in the show notes. And thank you so much, Pat. Again, always great speaking with you. Really appreciate your time this morning, uh, especially since you had to get up so early. So thanks so much. You're very welcome. Have a great day. Thanks. You too, Pat. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 
tremendous job by Pat Mulroy really explaining what's going on on the Colorado River and why it's so important. I also thought her observations on litigation and what would happen if this ends up at the U.S. Supreme Court and the Supreme Court actually issues a an opinion on this were very interesting and eye-opening. And I'd love to know what you thought about that uh, episode. Please check out the show notes for this for this episode. Uh, just Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first link that comes up. That's our home on the web uh, that is provided by Bluefield Research. Again, Bluefield Research and the Water Values LLC are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. As part of that, Bluefield is nice enough to give us a home on the web. If you still use Twitter, you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values, and you can tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page as well. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for the 2023 season include the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Trinex, Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, Interra, and Xylem. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thank you for listening and subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. I truly appreciate it. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most important resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.